Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing With Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director here with Mara Levinsky, Executive Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, as we previewed last week, Bold and Beautiful's Rome episodes are about to start airing and expect some big drama in the Hope Thomas and Ridgebrook stories, as well as a high wattage cameo from Italian tenor Andrea Bocelli. So we have a preview in the new issue, and it sounds like the show made use of every single tourist spot in the famed city, even scoring a private tour of the Coliseum, which, you know, sounds pretty fabulous to me. So this really is a remote that will move the tales forward in a very significant way. So in addition to the must-see element of the travelogue, I encourage everyone to tune in for the story development as well. Um, and some real-life B&B news to share, Matthew Atkinson, who plays Thomas, is engaged to his girlfriend, Brittany Ratledge. So a big congratulations to them. So he was part of the trip abroad, and Matthew and Brittany did some traveling after, which they chronicled on social media. So check out their fabulous trip. Oh, I am so happy for them, and, and just happy in general to know that Matthew's personal life is clearly nowhere near as messy as his characters. <laughs> now, uh, YNR fans should take note that coming up this week, Kim Douglas, who is the real-life widow of the late Jerry Douglas, will be appearing in the role of Zelda Winston, a character with deep ties to the Abbott family. The episode is slated to air on June 20. 22nd and will feature flashbacks galore paying homage to the role played by her late husband, the beloved Abbott patriarch, John. I'm sure I am going to need to have uh, tissues on hand for that one. We have a very touching interview with Kim in the new issue of Soap Digest and an other exciting casting news. Lamone Archie is heading back two days for an extended visit is Eli, which I am absolutely thrilled about. We last saw his character visit Salem over the holidays, and given that his Salem family is in crisis, I'm glad that he was available to take part in the storyline, which will also feature returns by Marla Gibbs as Paulina's mother, Olivia, and Cameron Johnson as Abe's son, Thea. Yeah, I am so excited to see the Carter Price family in full force back on days to celebrate Abe and Paulina's wedding anniversary, which is Juneteenth. So June is traditionally considered wedding season. So we have a lot of themed features in our new issue. We have 12 actors recalling their real life nuptials. We have a roundup where stars tell us what they would change about their real life wedding days. And you pull together a fabulous pictorial of destination weddings through the years. And you know, I just remember how excited I would get for a soap wedding. I mean, they would last for days and there was such an incredible buildup. And there are so many from the past that I loved. Uh, I will never forget Joe and Kelly's on Santa Barbara because Jeffrey Osborne sung On the Wings of Love. And that was just everything to me at that time. I think it's well documented how much I loved Luke and Laura's on GH and Bowen Hope's on Days. And I mean, the list actually 
could go on. Well, the 80s were just a golden era for soaps on so many levels, including the matrimonial one. It's just astounding to reflect back on the budgets that went into staging some of these epic ceremonies. I mean, the first soap wedding for me that was like, nobody talked to me, nothing on this planet exists for me, but this wedding was Stephen Kayla's on the yacht from Days of Our Lives. I mean, I look back on it now and okay, like maybe Kayla's sleeves were a little poofy by today's standards, but I just had never seen anything or anyone as beautiful as Mary Beth Evans in that gown. And it still gets me in the feels when I see clips of it. It's funny to like think back on that wedding now and realize it was just going to be the first of many that you know <laughs> Steve and Kayla would say I do at. And I feel the same way about Josh and Reva and Guiding Light. Like they had that amazing wedding in Cross Creek, which was shot on location. And then they went on to be married like multiple more times by the time that show went off the air decades later. Uh, anyway, in this job, I always look forward to June because I know it's going to be an excuse for me to dig through our incredible archive of vintage wedding photos. But I also got such a kick out of the interviews that we did with actors about their real life weddings. I learned so many fun things, including that Bonnie Burroughs, who plays Gladys on GH, had to send her husband out shopping for a shirt to wear to their wedding on their wedding day. And that Stacey Heideck, Daisy's uh, Kristen, wanted to be unconventional. So she wore a slip dress, which was in stark contrast to Amelia Heinley, Victoria from YNR, who got talked into wearing what she called a sound of music veil, but she ended up loving. Yeah, so many of those answers and stories were so great. I do love the real life side of hearing about our actors. But I will say our guest today knows a thing or two about soap weddings. It's Sharon Case, who has played Sharon Newman on Young and the Restless for almost 30 years and has been killing it in Story of Late. So let's get her on the line and see how it's all going. Hi, Sharon. Hi, girls. Thanks for having me. We're so happy you're here. Uh, Mara was just saying how it's been five years since we've had you on the podcast, which means you were one of our first guests. So we are so excited to be talking to you again today. Well, wow. I'm glad to be here talking to you again. It's been too long, but thank you for having me as one of your first guests also. <laughs> of course. Um, but something we also discovered was that we didn't really dive deep enough into the life of Sharon Case. So mm-hmm. we're going to have you take us back to your life before Young and the Restless. So you started oh. modeling as a teenager, specifically yeah. because you thought it would be a good entry point into acting. But how did yeah. you first discover that you wanted to be a performer? Um, well, when I was a child, I was in ballet class and I loved it. Um, you know, I started doing it more and more until it was every day and then doing competitions. I, I just liked it as a kid. And um, my my, uh, my dad then suggested, um, you know, I do other things. Like I think he, yeah, it was my dad suggested I go to this modeling class. And so I did. And, um, you know, I think it... Through these um, competitions I did as a dancer, I, I met with some agents. Scouting agents would go to these things. And that was how I got a modeling agent and just started modeling. And uh, in about a year or so later, General Hospital asked my agent to have if I would commit an audition for a role on General Hospital. And so I, I went um, and that started it all. I uh, then was on, uh, playing Dawn on General Hospital. Um, and it wasn't too long after that, I was in New York on As the World Turns um, for a few years. When I came back to L.A., um, within six months, I was working on, on Young and the Restless. And here we are. 
Uh, I mean, a few other things happened in between uh, things I did work uh, a few little movies and, and things like that. But um, and other shows, TV series, Valley of the Dolls. But that's, you know, the broad strokes of how I wound up here. Something that I find so interesting in your biography is that you went to Japan to yeah. model when you were in your late teens. I was just thinking to myself, I was scared to go to college in Massachusetts being from Illinois. Like, were you nervous getting on that plane and living in a different yeah. I, You know, well, when I met this modeling agent through a dance competition, they were from Japan, you know, one of the agencies I met with were, and they offered me to go to Japan. And I don't know why I thought that would be such a great idea, but I guess I just thought as a career opportunity or, you know, booking jobs, making money, you know, just getting started. So anything sounds like a good idea and sounds like a lucky break. And it really was, it turned out to be phenomenal, but I don't know why I thought so I was 17. Why on earth would I want to move to Asia or any 17 year old want to move to Asia? It didn't dawn on me that this was crazy until my mom dropped me off at the gate at the airport and I was boarding Japan Airlines. I'd never taken a transatlantic or transpacific in this case flight before. And I don't know why, but it wasn't until that moment when I left my mom that I went what am I doing? This is insane. Um, but, you know, it worked out great. It turned out I loved Tokyo. I extended my stay. I stayed almost a year. It was only supposed to be two months, but I kept extending it because I loved it there so much. And then it just turned out, you know, later in my life, I traveled back to Asia, China and um, Thailand um, I love Asia. The, uh, maybe it's because of those first great experiences I had when I was so young. Um, but my parents dragged me back here to the <laughs> U.S. at some point. And uh, I'm glad they did, though at the time I was kicking and screaming. Because I had made a lot of friends in Tokyo by then. And that was my home, sort of. Wow. Do you remember there being any sort of culture shock? Or what What was the biggest culture shock for you about moving there? Um I don't know that there was really like a culture shock. It Everything felt normal to me. It was just there was a language barrier and there was a different currency. So that I, I don't think I was prepared for. I remember when I first got there, I was dropped off in my apartment. And I was given a three bedroom apartment. Two other models were there. And so you know, they were just used to this routine, models coming and going from these apartments. And they didn't really pay me much mind. So I asked one of them, hey, how can I just go down to a local grocery store or something? I wanted to get some food. For, and so it pointed me in the right direction. I did notice the streets were quite windy in the area I lived. But that was a little bit culturally different from where I was from. Not typically in Europe, though, that the streets are that way. But when I got to the store and was checking out, of course, I didn't speak Japanese. Um, most people that, who were Japanese didn't speak English. Um, so I just didn't know how much I was supposed to pay for my groceries. So I just held my hands out with my currency in my hands to, to the checker. And she just took the amount that was due and I went on my way because everybody there, here's a cultural difference. Everybody's so honest and trustworthy. I found everywhere I went there, I, you know, I was always safe and people looked after each other. 
That's pretty incredible. So was Dawn your first professional role as an actress? You know, I think I had done some really small television roles. Like, um, you know, I have it out of order in my own mind. I'm not sure if I had done 90210, Beverly Hills 90210 yet, or a few other roles like that, where I just had one or two lines. So, but as a real substantial role where I'm regularly on every day and, uh, you know, yes, that was my first real role. Well, as luck would have it, we're actually talking to you the week of your anniversary in the role of Don Winthrop. So, uh, you, you know, poor Don was, was not terribly long for the canvas, but when you think back on your GH time, what stands out to you? Um, Leslie Charleston and Jane Elliott. I, I just, my relationships with them, how wonderful those two ladies were. Um, every time I am scrolling on Twitter or something and I see a photo of Jane Elliott, I'm I'm just, my heart's warmed and I'm brought back. Uh, she was really uh, just a great support for me then. And so was Leslie. And, and this was uh, daunting, you know, taking on a role this big on a show like that. Um, so I needed support and that's what those ladies gave me. I love to hear that. Yes. Um, and now, as you mentioned, you did come East to do as the world turns. Um, and so what do you remember about that experience? Okay. Well, that I had, I had been to New York city once before for a couple of days, um, years before that, I think, uh, when I was like 16. Um, so it was really scary. I was thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to move to New York City by myself, get an apartment, I have a job. And so when I was flying there to land in JFK, I, I, it was reminiscent of flying to Tokyo. I'm like, here I am again. What is wrong with me? Um, why do I do this? So I thought, well, you know what? Everything worked out great when you went when you went to Tokyo, and this is going to be the same way. So just keep that. I kept that in mind, like a mantra almost in my mind as I was flying to New York City that this was going to be great. This was going to work out. You don't have to be afraid, and um, and it really did work out great. You know, I um, I talked to a few people on the plane and told them that I was moving to New York City. I'm only 22 and I'm alone and people gave me great advice. And then um, as for what to do, you know, when I landed and got to the airport to be safe, how to, you know, travel into the city because I didn't know, um, but they gave me great advice. And then the taxi driver um, on the way into the city mentioned to me, you know, you have a lot of baggage you're carrying with you. Are you moving here? And I said, yeah. Uh, and he's like, do you know where you're going to go? Because I was checking into a hotel. He knew that was where he was taking me. And I said, no, I really don't know where to go. I, I don't know where to start finding a place to live. And as we drove over the 59th Street Bridge, he said, he pointed down and said, look down there. See that? That's Roosevelt Island. That's very, very safe. Young women who are single should live there. This is a safe place for you. And so... That was what I ended up doing. And I loved it there. I only, I've lived in New York for well over 20 years. And I just found out within the last year that people actually lived on Roosevelt, Roosevelt Island. Because I've gone there for like concerts. So now I can't believe I yeah. meet 
Uh, and a it's lot. It's not bad. It's it's very it's quiet and nice, and it's very you know uh, it's a nice little community. Um, there's an outdoor pool, which is so great in the summer. Um, uh, yeah, it was a lot of nice things, and it's not like it's that big of a deal to jump on the subway there and go wherever you're going in the city. Or that tram. That was fun too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, although that's so slow, it takes forever. I'm more of a train person. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, so let's let's fast forward just a little while longer. Okay. It's time for YNR to enter okay, your great. orbit. And you did your screen test with Joshua Morrow, who of course plays Nick. Do you remember meeting him for the first time or what your first interactions were like or first impressions of him? Uh, I, you know, I remember shooting the scene and I remember it was in Fenmore's. Um, but I, I don't remember my very first meeting with him, if it was then or it had to have been then. Um, I think I was just so nervous didn't stay in my mind, except I do just remember mid-scene trying to remember my lines and my blocking and working my way around that um, Fenmore's uh, clothing racks. I remember that. And, I, you know, I do remember how handsome Joshua Morrow was and still is and uh, and, and how kind he was and, and just open and willing to help, uh, you know, interested in being there and, and making this work. Um, I mean, now, obviously, the Nick and Sharon pairing just clicked in a really unique and very enduring way. Um, but why do you think that relationship struck such a chord with the audience and continues to? Um, I think it's because it's it's just a true romance. It's a true love story that, that started between two people so innocently. And in, it started in the right way. Um, and carrying forward they have children together that they continue to co-parent and they're just so involved in each other's lives I think the two of them have a lot of respect for each other um and even though they've been through so many ups and downs you know I think when you get through that many hurdles together in life you you really that glues you together forever um and and Joshua and I feel the same way Personally, you know, we've been working together for almost 30 years. We've individually been, gone through a lot in life and been there uh, as each other's colleague through everything for 30 years of our lives. His four children were born. Um, it's, and we have the same love and respect for each other. And we're, we both feel very lucky that we were both chosen for these roles and we've gotten to work together all these years. Um, that just really worked out so great for us. And for us uh, on the other side. Oh, of the good, good. And then, you know, fans that are big chick fans always want to know if, if or when the two of them are getting back together. And I always like to say, I don't know because I don't have the scripts. Um, you know, obviously this is a, a you know, a, a big super couple. So one would think they could get back together anytime. And that's probably true. But for me to say, oh, this storyline isn't is or isn't leading to a chick reunion. I honestly don't know, because the truth is I could get a script, a new script tomorrow, and it could have chick getting back together. For all I know, it could blindside me as well. I, I, I don't know what's coming forward. I do know that, um, you know, as we watch every storyline that the two of them go through together, or even just a casual scene in the coffee house, they are very close. When And when they go through our deals together, of course, that always makes them closer. So, um, you know, we don't see Nick and Sharon fighting and, and uh, 
you know, distancing themselves from each other over the years. We see them, you know, growing closer and with uh, a fondness and respect for each other more and more all the time. So um, um, I, I, what I don't see is the two of them deciding to be enemies one day. They, at this point, they, um, they're on the same team. So we'll see what happens, you know? And like I said, I don't know. So when people ask me, is this going to be a chic reunion? I honestly don't know. I'll wait until I get the next script and then I'll tell you. <laughs> well, we were just talking stuff and me about, uh, you know, our favorite soap weddings, the ones we grew up watching and loving. And any time Soap Opera Digest does anything on Soap's most memorable weddings or certainly YNR's most memorable weddings, the Sharon and Nick wedding from 1996 is always, you know, right at the top of the list. What do you remember, if anything, about filming it and being like a first time soap bride. Oh, that was, that was interesting. I had never gotten married and um, I've never been a bride um, and then later a mom as an actress before. So it was so exciting. And you know, like any woman, it is so much fun to put on a wedding dress. Like we could just try on dresses and <laughs> wedding dresses and yeah, it would make our day. So I was having a great time with this. Um, I mean, really the time of my life getting to put on this gown and walk down the aisle, um, you know, it was my dream come true for me. Um, but having to play the role, you know, it felt like it was really happening in real life. It felt real because it was just such a real thing to do is such a real setting. And I've heard other girls say the same thing in soaps when they got married it felt like that's what they were really doing. Um, whereas usually in any given scene, uh, you know, any day of the year, your scenes don't feel like reality. You, you know, you're acting. And, but when you get married, something about it, it feels like you're really married after that. Well, almost. Like in costume. I mean, there is something yeah. really different about a wedding in that respect. Like you're not just wearing like a normal party dress. You're a bride. Like I can't imagine feeling like you're not one when you're right. completely dressed like you are one and saying that that's true yeah when you're dressed like a bride you're going to feel like a bride and you know working on a soap yeah every day you have a costume that's fine but you don't every day get into a wedding gown so it's kind of uh i don't know it's sort of emotional and it's a lot of fun um i'm so glad sharon's gotten to get married several times i hope she gets married again and again and again yeah <laughs> i want to get a lot of different wedding looks You've had some great dresses, I will yes. say, and looks in general. Um, so five years into your run on the show in 1999, you won the Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actress. So what was that night like for you? Oh, my gosh, it was so much fun. Um, I, I mean, I I had a lot of fun. You know, I, I think we, we had a big party in New York City after that. Um, we always did. You know, Young and the Restless, a lot of people would go to New York, a lot of the actors and and, uh, you know, the writers, executives, we would all be there together and then we'd have a big party afterwards. So that was a, a really great time. Um, yeah, I just I remember having a fabulous night. I mean, who wouldn't? It, and it went so fast. Um, but it, it's so nerve wracking to sit there when they call you category and the camera's on you and you don't know what they're going to and you don't know what they're going to say and then if they god forbid call your name now you have to go up to the podium and say something that's a nightmare i mean well it always was for me public speaking wasn't my strong suit i don't know if it is now but it certainly wasn't when i was younger 
You know, I will tell you when I interviewed Peter Bergman for the 50th anniversary special we did, he said one of the nights that really made him feel like part of the YNR family was when you won the Emmy and he saw you call your mom to tell her and he yeah. just said that moment will just live with me forever and it really touched him and he just felt like the like part of part of it all. Yeah. Being you know, Peter has told me that a few times and that just says so much about Peter Bergman that my night when I just happened to think I had, I was alone. Oh, well, I was on a bus that was carrying us all to a location. But still, you don't think anyone's watching or paying attention to you. So I called my mom to tell her I won. Peter happened to overhear this. And that that moment has moved Peter that much. Just tells you what an, a wonderful, amazing, warm, kind human being Peter is. Exactly. He's a mensch. Uh, all right. Well, Emmy talk here is a good segue to congratulate you on the daytime Emmy nomination that you have received this year for Outstanding Lead Actress. And honestly, you know, just on the basis of the extraordinary work that you've done over the years, it's hard to believe that this is your first time in that category. So tell us what the nomination means to you and what being in the lead actress category means to you? Um, it means everything. I, I've, you know, I've been competing in the lead category for, I don't know how many years, but close to 20. And I haven't been nominated in a long time. So I guess I just got used to the answer being no. After a while, I some years I just didn't compete. Um, but so I certainly never expected it. And any year, I, what I expect is no. <laughs> Again, um, it's a tough category to get into. So um, I wasn't expecting anything. Um, in fact, I wasn't I wasn't uh, aware that the nominations were coming out on the day that they did, because I thought they'd come out the following day, which I was right. They do. But there was a pre-announcement, apparently, the day before for certain categories. And this was one of those categories. So I didn't know that. I was waiting for the answer to come the next day, I went to work and got home and I saw something weird on Twitter uh, that made me think the nominations came out. But I'm like, well, that has got to be wrong because I know that they're tomorrow. And then um, then Maddie called me and told me I was nominated. That's Maddie Kane, our publicist. That was a great phone call to receive. I was floored. I was numb. I don't even think I... You know, even right now, I've really wrapped my head around it or that it's become that real to me. Um, but but I was so excited. I was literally screaming like this cannot actually have just happened. <laughs> this cannot actually have finally just happened. What? <laughs> and then um, so I check my phone and there's uh, Michelle Stafford. And I think Missy Egan uh, or Miss, yeah, Melissa Claire Egan had also texted me. And so I texted him back. I called Michelle. Um, and then I got off the phone with her and called my parents. That that was my morning. That's okay. I don't know what time of day it was. I don't think it was morning. I don't it was know. probably at night or afternoon for you because I feel like it got out oh, right. at 7 p.m. East Coast. It was on like ET or something that aired. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a late afternoon. I think I had already gone to work and come home, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you submit? The uh, Sharon's reaction to Ray's death when Nick comes into the coffee house and tells her that Ray died. And um, then, of course, there's a lot of uh, aftermath scenes, Sharon grieving with various people, um, scenes that, you know, carried on throughout that week. And so I put those together. I submitted that. 
I can remember those scenes like they happened yesterday. They were so good. <laughs> they were absolutely. Oh, thanks so much. Those were hard scenes. Um, you know, it's it's always hard when you know to play death of you know someone is a hard is a rough thing to play, but it's also part of reality that you know an actor you worked with for a very long time is leaving the show and they're gone. So you know, like. Uh, that's just hard. Like when Cassie died, we couldn't leave. We were so mortified. We couldn't, we could barely even confront doing the same. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was great storyline. Well, you know, Ray and Sharon had established like a really nice fan following at, at the time. They'd obviously married another beautiful wedding dress. Um, oh, I love that one. I love <laughs> yeah. that wedding dress. I love that one. Thank um, you. So when we had you on the podcast the last time, you were very like newly working with Jordy. Um, so, you know, tell us what your reaction was when you found out that Sharon was going to be widowed and that Jordy was leaving. Oh, he's so great. He really is really kind. He loves to, working on the work. I remember us sitting in my dressing room, running lines a lot of the times and, um, talking about movies that we liked and movies that we thought uh, were similar to our storyline at certain points. Um, what else? He, well, he was always so kind and complimentary of me and others as well. Um, he's that kind of guy. Well, I feel like fans have sort of fallen into two camps regarding Sharon's life after becoming a widow. Like some fans have really wanted a new man to come into her life. And I think others sort of appreciate the realism of her not rushing into some sort of new relationship? Like, where do you fall uh, on that subject? Um, I guess I fall somewhere in between, but maybe on the side of the realism, I think that, um, you know, after a horrific loss like that, nobody's feeling very amorous for, you know, at least a year in reality. Um, and, you know, on the other hand, it's a soap opera and the show has to go on. So, you know, had it had the story been told any other way, I, I wouldn't be upset about that either. But in sticking with reality, yeah, after a trauma like that, you know, it's not only a loss, but a horrific trauma. Suddenly her husband's killed in a car accident. Um, that's that's a lot to to endure. And it's and it's a big life adjustment that takes time. And so um, I thought it was told very realistically that she take that time now. Um, is she ready to move forward now or does she? Well, well, I like to say, and it's true, that I don't know what's happening in the storyline. There is one thing I do know that's happening in the storyline a little bit um, in that regard, in the regard of Sharon feeling at least ready to start moving on with someone. Um, I, I think that's that's coming up. That's coming around the corner that she starts coming around and waking up. I, maybe she got jarred out of her her mourning or sadness after Cameron attacks her. So she, I think she, or after that ordeal, she, she decides to take steps forward in her life and take control of her life. So we'll see where that goes. You got to stay tuned and watch so that you can find out what I'm talking about, but I'm not allowed to give stuff like that away. Um, so, you know, I do know uh, a little bit ahead of, of, of what's aired only because we shoot six weeks in advance. So I know at least what I've shot, um, but you know, beyond that, I don't know. Okay. 
Well, one relationship that has developed in Sharon's life in recent years in a really lovely way, I think, is her relationship with her daughter-in-law, Tessa, played by Kate Fairbanks. And I think a lot of viewers love how supportive and embracing Sharon has been of the Mariah and Tessa relationship. But talk to us, first Mm -hmm. of all, about your relationship with Cameron Grimes, who plays Mariah, but of course began her YNR career many years ago as a little girl playing Cassie. You know, it's such a unique to daytime kind of thing, you know, where you work with someone for so many years and you literally watch them grow up. Yeah, you know, she started when she was seven. And so to Joshua and I, she, you know, she it was our little girl, or in any case, she's a little girl. And we <laughs> talk to her with respect, but she's like, she's a child. And so I remember after her character died, some years went by and she came to the stage to visit one day with some of her friends. I was blown away at how all of a sudden grown up my little girl was with makeup and the clothes and hair. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that many years had gone by. But now she was a grown up and I had to address her differently. And now it's even more years later. Now she's an intelligent young woman, uh, an accomplished young woman. And so now there's a different relationship. And this is true of me and Cameron and also they're the characters they're, you know I mean because it's that happens between mother and daughter as well one day your baby's your baby and the next day they're getting married or something like that <laughs> they're having a baby so the relationship you know changes and progresses and you know Cameron Grimes is such a wonderful young woman she is so smart and she is just solid you know she really holds her position in space she knows who she is and she knows what she believes is what she believes in and they're all good things trust me love it big fans cheer of her as well um okay so then tell us about working with kate and your take on that sharon tessa bond i love that the audience has glommed onto that you know i've i've just always adored kate she has such a sweet sweetness about her sweet energy and you know, when I first met her, she came on the show as a singer. She was singing and her songs really captured your heart. You know, her voice really did. Um, and her just constant kindness and, and openness toward everyone she meets or stands with or talks to on the set is really um, enchanting. And, um, you know, she she's the kind of person that you feel like you really could just any day go up to her and tell her what's on your mind. She would be receptive. She's really, uh, really great empath. Mm-hmm. Well, Sharon's other daughter, Faith, is now played by Raylan Castor after the two actresses who previously played her are doing quite well for themselves. So what has it been like having Raylan as a scene partner? Raylan's great. You know what? She, I admire her. She, she's a very good actress, very talented and, and very brave because she jumped into that role one day when Faith had just had a kidney transplant and had to jump into a hospital bed, look at me and Joshua like we're her parents and start crying. Um, That's quite a spot to be stuck into for such a young girl. And she just nailed it like gangbusters. And, uh, you know, so everybody was really floored and impressed with her from day one. She uh, is, you know, a, a wonderful young lady. She's she's also very kind. She's very busy uh, when she's not on the set. And, um, you know, she really she's going after it at work and in her own life. I, you know, she's terrific. It was really fun doing this uh, Cameron story with her because, 
you know, she hasn't been there that long. So we haven't had a chance to play too many different storylines together. We had her kidney transplant um, and her love story with, with, you know, with, well, I don't know, but yeah, I guess she and Moses are still together. You know, we have that and her going off to college, but to get to play this frightening, you know, action adventure horror story with her was really fun. We both just jumped into it and had a great time with it. I, I would do a scary movie with her any day. <laughs> Um, all right. So speaking of which, obviously, we are talking to you. We're, we're, we're catching you at the tail end of uh, a storyline that has gotten the YNR audience so riveted, so excited. Uh, your fans in particular had really been clamoring to see this character in a front burning plot. And you have truly been so fantastic throughout this entire arc. Uh, so let's get into the return of Cameron Kirsten, played by Lyndon Ashby. How did you uh, find out that Lyndon was returning? Um, someone told me when I was standing on stage one day. Um, let's see, who was it? I don't know if it was my producer, Vivian, or or if it was Danielle from CBS. Some, one of those ladies told me. And I was just so excited because I had mentioned this so many times over the years that, you know, I, that was my favorite story. And I'd love for him to come back. And, I, you know, with Susan being back, wouldn't it be great if Lyndon came back now? Um, I loved working with Lyndon. Looking back on all the co-stars I've had, of course, I'd love them all. But I really, really love working with Lyndon. Um, he's a great actor, a wonderful man. Um, and, you know, I adore Susan. I love that they're married. Um, this is, you know, when he worked there years ago, I think, Su yeah, Susan was there then too. And, and so this was just fun. It was great. It was wonderful. I really liked working with Lyndon. Um, so I, I always said, bring him back, especially now with Susan there. And didn't you love the scene with him and Susan together yes, with the yes. cocktail? Yes. I could watch a whole show, like a series of these two doing that. Like, same. I, I loved that. Knowing that they're a real life couple and seeing them as a real life couple, I get to see them together as a couple. Now to watch this scene between them where they're both playing these other characters, I was riveted. I was glued to my TV. Um, so <laughs> it's great back in so many regards. Absolutely. Well, you've had a lot of work to do in this storyline that seems like it carried a high degree of difficulty. You know, what scenes for you were the most challenging and what made them so? Um, I mean, all of them were. It was it's hard whenever you have to suddenly get shocking news. Somebody died, somebody's kidnapped. You know, it's your daughter, it's your husband. That's always hard to play the the shock value of what just happened, the horror, the sadness, the tears. A lot. I mean, it's a lot to play all in one beat. And, you know, there's a lot for the actor to think about or decide on because in real life, when these things happen, people react in so many variety of ways that there is no right and wrong. Um, you, you just have to pick one and go with it. So, um, I, you know, when we were shooting all this, so we shot it very condensed um, I think we shot nine episodes one week. So when I was shooting each of those beats and even more of them to come that haven't aired yet, I did all of those different emotions and reactions and events happening happened possibly within the same day or definitely within the same week with all the dialogue and all and just 
so much. Um, I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. I kind of just maybe and this was a good thing that it went this way because I kind of just got myself into this mental place, this emotional place and just stayed there that week. And then I could just react naturally. You know, I was already engaged emotionally. And so then, I, you know, as we did the scenes, the reactions just came naturally out of me as they, uh, you know, would, I suppose, how I would react if that were really me. Um, and it was good because, uh, you know, emotionally and energy wise, instead of shooting this over a period of weeks where I got into the costume, matched the way my makeup looked, tried to match my emotional level over and over and over and over again, shooting it condensed like that. You know, I didn't have to. I was right there the whole time, except for one time. Um, I think a weekend went by. And then the next week, the first shooting day, I had the scene with Chance where I tell him that Faith's been kidnapped. So, or, you know, I see the picture. Something happens. I'm sorry. I'm trying to remember. Like I find out that she's been kidnapped. I yell at Chance. Um, and I break down, I'm crying, you know, with chance after that, the very next show that wasn't shot until three days later. So I get in there on Monday morning and I have to start out the day at eight 30 in the morning on stage in that state with chance to pick it up. So that that's challenging to do. I mean, I manage and I try to just have a good point of view about it and keep my chin up, which I did. And but to do that, to have to match that over and over and over again or find your way back to that place over and over again, it, it is harder. But so that only happened one time. Otherwise, we shot them all condensed together. And I remember seeing Connor that morning and I'm like, oh, brother, we walked in here like normal. But just wait five minutes from now. Give me a second. I'm going to be a wreck. <laughs> Hold on. Just give me a minute. It's coming. And <laughs> you can you talk us through what the five minutes before you're shooting that looks like? Because I honestly, you know, watching you in this storyline, part, part of me is really in it. And part of me is thinking, how is she doing that? I, I don't like it. So it really is mysterious to me what you actually do before the, they say action where you're able to, to go to those places. Yeah. I think, you know, I, there's acting school, but there's a lot of different schools and ways that they teach you to do that. And a lot of actors, they just know how, they have their own way. So there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just however you get there and works for you. Um, for me, I uh, I guess I, we've been shooting these ki kinds of scenes at Young and the Restless so long that you know my preparation time is shorter and shorter. But in that five minutes that I'll need, I just need to focus. So I don't want a lot of noise or distractions. Although now I'm so used to just distractions while I'm doing my emotional preparation that they almost don't bother me anymore. I think the only thing that distracts me out of my emotional prep is when Joshua Morrow makes jokes. Then I have to laugh. Okay. Then I'm drawn out of it, but nothing else drags my attention away from my focus on my emotional prep. So I just need about five minutes to really focus on the scene. I definitely use the circumstances of the scene try to really commit to that imaginary world and, and take five minutes to meditate myself into that space. I'm mostly thinking of the real circumstances and trying to apply them to myself in my real life. I know other actors 
you know, will do it totally different. They'll think about something wildly other than the circumstances, like, you know, puppies or something. I don't know. But that's how I do it. If Joshua Morrow isn't making me laugh because he <laughs> is hilarious. I wonder if your co-stars will be thinking about Bornyine from, uh, you know, as, as we move forward. Maybe they will. You know, I mean, they might have thought someone might have thought about Borgnine in their emotional preparation. It was very sad. You know, that cat, they actually had a taxidermy cat that, you know, I don't know if it was taxidermy, meaning in a way that it was supposed to look dead. It was just a taxidermy cat that when you laid on its side, you know, was not moving. We hardly knew you, Borgnine. I know, um, seriously. So now, obviously, there was a, you know, there was an expectation on you somewhat, I imagine, to bring a lot to these scenes. You know, do you still get nervous before you no. do these scenes? No. I don't. You know, I got nervous about any scene. It didn't have to be a hard one. Um, for about the first four or five years working there, every time I walked onto that stage, I would have to, you know, focus and try to shake off my nerves no matter what I was shooting. And then it went away. And now I'm just not nervous. I think just in general, not being nervous walking on the stage allows me to have the comfort and the focus to do whatever that scene is going to consist of. But but that nervousness, I did last a long time. Four or five years is a long time, in my opinion. Indeed. Uh, maybe that maybe the Emmy at the end of that five years helped a little bit to uh, take some pressure off. Maybe, maybe, maybe it gave me confidence that I can do it. So, uh, you know, as you said before, you know, you're aware when you're doing a scene that it's not really you. At the same time, you're still conjuring up this big amount of emotion. So there was this weekend, right? You ended on this really intense high point on Friday, had to pick it up back on Monday. But do you feel it over the weekend or does it shut off immediately when they when they call cut? It just shuts off. Um, You know, I think, well, one thing I learned in acting school was, you know, that your work is your work, your your commitment to the imaginary world is one thing, and your commitment to your own real world is there just as strong. And they they both exist. Um, so you don't you're never confused about what's what or how you feel. In fact, you know, I could be shooting the most treacherous scene. And if I feel like I really nailed that, or I at least am satisfied, if I don't feel like I nailed it, if I'm satisfied with what I did. I go home that weekend thrilled, relieved, jumping for joy. You know, I I dive into my real life happily because I feel a sense of satisfaction um, and accomplishment. And, you know, I don't let the coming Monday morning daunt me until it absolutely is necessary that I really do have to look at it again. Um, Well, the show did such a bang up job curating flashbacks to remind the audience of the tortured history between Sharon and Cameron and to remind us of something we don't see every day on soap operas, which is a location shoot in a cornfield. So what do you remember about that day at work? Oh, how fun it was. I remember, you know, just with with Lyndon and Joshua there. I mean, imagine how silly this was and how hilarious and how much fun we were having because somebody let us out of the studio. We were in a cornfield. We were going to have fun. This was exhilarating, you know, to imagine when you're usually more shooting, we're in a building that has no windows. And so here we are now out in a fun cornfield. And it, it, I've never been in one. I don't know that they had either. So we really had fun exploring that. And also I remember... Our then executive producer, Ed Scott, being there, who was also a lot of fun. And 
it was just a great experience. One none of us will ever forget. I was glad to that they uh, brought those scenes back and re-aired them so that I could see them again, so everyone could see them again, because that was just such a fun time for all of us at Young and the Restless and, 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 and us three crazy actors. And then I also saw uh, somebody posted on Twitter where Cameron was haunting Sharon and she was in the old Newman ranch and she fell through that window. I remember doing that. I remember having to fall through a window and I had never uh, done that before though. I'd done a lot of stunts playing Sharon, but that was a new one. They always had me doing some stunt, jumping out of a plane a window, I, you know, something <laughs> like this. My job has been really exciting and challenging and, you know, bringing new things to me that I never thought I would be doing. And I was a little nervous. I mean, we had such a great stunt coordinator. Nothing ever went wrong, but I was a little nervous about going backwards and landing in a, on a, I don't know, they put something down there, a crash pad, you know. It yeah, it's like, a, it's like doing a trust fall when you know that no one's going to catch you. Like that's right. nervous as well. Fall <laughs> yeah. the right way and hit the net. Well, what is it like for you to see these montages when they put them together? Like, because I adore seeing them, but what is it like for you? I I love seeing them. I love being reminded of all the hard work and fun scenes that we've done in the past. Um, I like being reminded of the Sharon and Cameron scenes because of, you know, how really violent they were and how really scary this was and, and scary that this scary that this man is is good to remind me in playing these scenes but um you know the audience people who uh, haven't seen it in years or maybe who never saw it they and it was unusual also for daytime not only you know jumping parachuting into a cornfield but um you know this this issue we don't really ever see uh you know this much rape we have told the story and uh about rape many times on soap operas but this one was quite quite visual and quite you know it's quite graphic and really brutal and it really i think it showed you know just how scary uh, of a topic this really is and uh you know lyndon and i we went through that together that was you know a, a tough shoot um seeing it again reminded me that was you know, I do a lot of things playing Sharon. That was one of them. I've been through a lot of experiences that, you know, some some were very uh, hard, but that was it, that was everything. I, I'm so grateful. Well, you had, you know, wanted to, to work with Lyndon again, and then you got to have this experience. And what was it like to, you know, have all those years go by and then here it is, it's happening. And you've got such exciting material and a lot to do with each other, a lot to dig into. I know we, you know, again, it was one of those things like you can hardly believe you're doing it when you're doing it because you're so happy about this. And this is such like a miracle that we were back together again, working together. But we also at the same time have so much to do. Lyndon had so much dialogue and, you know, these scenes are challenging and they're very nuanced. So I have all I have to think about all that. And uh, so that's all we have. We don't have a choice. We can't sit there and relish or bask in our happiness that we're back together. We have so much work to focus on. So we just that's all we can do is that. And he did a great job. And, you know, we just work together like I'm like butter. Um, and I imagine he and Susan do, too. I think that uh, is just how Lyndon is. And that's how he who he is as an actor. He just, you know, is is so great he just really 
blends in and melds together with whoever is co-starring the scene as he's right there. Well, something I've been a little curious about with this story. Um, do we think that this arc is going to force Victor to replace every single member of the Newman security force? I mean, they literally uh, have one job. One job. Oh, my gosh. Well, Cameron managed to fool them. He came <laughs> up with a way that the security team couldn't have possibly caught or done anything about. Um, but beyond that, the security team... Uh, I don't, I don't know, you know, <laughs> Cameron, let's see, what else has slipped by them? I'm not sure, but you know what, if it weren't for them not catching the bad guy, we would never have any bad stories to tell. So somebody's got to take it on the chin. Right. So the exactly. security team does. Yep. You're absolutely right. Well, I really loved, and I think uh, a lot of fans really loved that Sharon, and, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, said, thanks, but no thanks to Nick and Victor and insisted, you know, that she needed to face Cameron alone. You know, was that something that you were pleased to see that I think here the show was really playing Sharon as like that courageous, you know, is that able to essentially be her own hero? Yeah. Um, I, everything you just said. Yes. Um, when I, uh, saw that that was the direction I was going, I'm like, wow. I, I said to Vivian, you know, our producer throughout the years, you know, Sharon has often become it's in some kind of trouble, the damsel in distress, and it's always Nick or Victor gives her post. And that's that's the formula of this show and of a lot of shows. So that's fine. Um, but I'm really glad to see that this time, Sharon, this was her moment to rise up and become really strong. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, she still loves having a hero in her life. Who doesn't? But she is, you're exactly right, going to be her own hero and be strong. And, uh, you know, this was, uh, you know, a female taking care of herself and being strong and not needing saving necessarily. Um, of course, she just still needed help or had, you know, a lot of support. But, um, you know, this story was a strength story for Sharon. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, soaps are also rooted in romance and fans obviously care a lot about whether or not Sharon has a romantic partner. Um, is that something that you care about, whether Sharon is hooked up with someone? Or are you cool with her being solo? Um, no, I think she she should be hooked up with someone or like even throughout the story, um, while it is a strength story for Sharon, um, I think it's great that Sharon and Nick were in this story together. Even if they're not together, you always see the connection between these two. And this storyline gave them an opportunity to show even more sides and facets of their connection and what that is. And, you know, Sharon wasn't wearing um, a romantic split skirt dress for no reason that adds an element of sexiness, romance, things that the scenes are laced with that, even though that's not where, what it's mainly about, but, you know, well-written scenes like these have all of those elements in them and make you wonder, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know what's going to happen between these two people. But yeah, when Nick strapped that knife to her leg and they looked at each other, there's some thoughts and feelings there, although the matter at hand, saving faith is more important. But, you know, this gets logged in their subconscious, at, you know, for the future of experiences that they've had together. Oh, yeah. I think that knife scene is going on the chic highlight reel from here oh, on for out. For sure. sure. <laughs> that was hot. Wasn't yeah. that great? Absolutely. Yeah, I remember... 
when we were planning what Sharon was going to wear, that was very specific in this um, because I thought, well, an action story, she should be in comfortable shoes and pants or, you know, something you would go into action, fight the bad guy in. No, Josh Griffith said he, he we had a conversation and he's like, no, it has to be in a skirt. And there's a specific reason why that comes up in the story that she has to be in a skirt or in a long dress. Um, and so I, that was why it was that way. And when you see the full rest of the story, you'll you'll begin to see why this was her wardrobe. And, you know, of course, it could have been anything. Sharon didn't get dressed that day thinking she was going to battle Cameron Carson. She just got dressed that day. That's what she was wearing. But, um, but it does play into the storyline. You know, everything was thought of in this. And um, I, I just loved it. Well, obviously, you know, there's like a little bit of, of a deepening bond that we've seen between Chance and Sharon. You know, we're, we're seeing, uh, to your point, I think, if she's entering this new era, this moving forward era, you know, what do you think, like, if you could draw, uh, draw up her dream man, like, who is, like, in terms of, like, uh, personality traits, characteristics, who do you think is right for Sharon at this moment in her life? Wow, I don't know. I mean, just coming off of, Cameron Kirsten's storyline a year ago, her husband dying. Let's see who's who would be perfect for her. I don't, you know, I think it's be whoever she really connects with that. It wouldn't be some uh, etching of how the guy looked or what he did for a living. It would be that connection. I think she's, you know, missing that. So, um, and yeah, you know, Sharon and Chance go through this, you know, uh, whole ordeal together just as much as Sharon and Nick do. And I think Sharon is, she's making connections and using, and at some point those will become, you know, a forefront of, of her life. Um, but right now she's slaying dragons. And when she's done doing that, you know, I think what would, be, what would be great for her is, you know, another dragon slayer and they work together and keep on, you know, getting into all kinds of, you know, battles like this. Like, um, you know, I, I love telling this action story and getting the bad guy. And I, I would do that over and over and over again. I think, you know, in Sharon Case's ideal mind for Sharon Newman, that would be what she would get to do. That would be the man for her. I'd, I'd watch that show. Um, now, we can't risk getting you in trouble with Mr. Joshua Morrow by asking you if any of your leading men have been funnier than him. So we won't. But if you were casting a sitcom, say, who among the actors you've worked with do you think are naturally funny enough to hold their own with him? Oh, my gosh. Um, there are a lot of funny people work there. Eric Braden is hilarious. He is just as funny as Joshua Morrow. And when the two of them rip off each other, it's, it's just hysterical. Um, we were shooting a scene um, one time. Joshua and Eric and I, and um, we we're just relaxing there on a five minute break in between the scenes. And boy, did we laugh. What Eric said, what made Joshua do. And we're all three adding to this. I think like, the, and then there was one time where Joshua on the five, he was so tired. 
he was just laying back on the sofa and like kind of almost dozed off taking a nap. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if like what really happened was Sharon noticed that um, Nick was tired and was taking a nap. So Sharon looks around and starts stealing things like, oh, how about these coasters? And I unzip my purse and I start putting coasters in it because Sharon once had a, a yeah. you know, had a kleptomania. Light like kleptomania problem. Yes with her bipolar and and who knows that could always come back especially if she had like ptsd from this whole cameron ordeal but you know we were just laughing um and eric playing into it as well um the three of us love to laugh those two together that that's they would be a great sitcom we'd watch that too stop sure thing (laughs) so as we as we touched on earlier like your fans Uh, are so loyal and so devoted and so loud when it comes to wanting to see your talents utilized on the screen. You know, what, what does that part of it mean to you that this many years into your run that you have these viewers who are still so in your corner and care so deeply about your character? It means everything to me. You know, before we had social media, we I couldn't have known this or been very aware of it. But, you know, now with Instagram and Twitter, you hear more from the fans if you want to tune in and, and into your social media and interact or read what fans say. I It means the world to me how wonderful these people are. You know, before that, I, I would just go to work and shoot every day. We have a closed set. These viewers are so kind. They're so warm that they take time out of their day to go on social media and type a nice note or a compliment to someone. I mean, it is such a really wonderful thing. And and it says so much about somebody to do that. Like before that we had social media in the old days, were you going to sit down every day and write a nice note and stick it in the mail to someone every day? I mean, to do that says something really nice about you. And today's equivalent of that is to get online and type to that person at their address what you want to say it's so it warms my heart it keeps me going um you know because we don't have an audience there every day watching us cheering us on or who we get to speak to so what the fans support has just been everything and it has made me realize how kind and wonderful these people are and very funny too they're hilarious like some of them their comments are I guess meant to be a little bit, you know, off color or something, but it's, they're really clever and funny. I have to say Lilac, she makes me laugh so often. And even if she might say something that was maybe too off color here and there, but it's, she's funny and she means it to be funny and you can tell. And, you know, uh, Carmenita, I can keep going with all the names of these wonderful people who comment on Twitter to me every day they're they're just fantastic um you know it it makes my job more fun that i can tune in to hear what the viewers thought about it what their feedback was good or bad but even most of all to get a good laugh out of some of their jokes it just adds to my day it's fun and it makes this makes it feel like this is a bigger company than it is it's the company isn't just made up of the other actors and the crew and the people i work with at cbs and sony but there's all the viewers we're now in touch with too. So it sort of broadens the scope of like who it is that I work with, you know, who it is that's involved in this. We're all involved in this and it's so fun. It makes it greater. So thank you, you guys out there, fans out there. I adore you. Thank you. 
I was going to say Mara and I do tend to send funny tweets to each other. She definitely finds the better ones. Um, <laughs> and we have our own chuckle. So I can imagine how it must delight you as well. Um, now, what can you tease about where Sharon's storyline will go in the wake of her ordeal with Cameron? Well, I can tell you that it does go somewhere. It goes a few different places. Sharon doesn't just drop off the face of the earth. She is actively involved in a few different storylines um, moving forward. And both of them, I am loving, 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 loving it. it the, I know the viewers are going to love it, too. Um, I know they are. Um, so it definitely goes places from here. And where it goes, in some cases, is connected to the trauma that she went through with Cameron. Um, it does launch her forward in a few different ways in life. And I think that's, you know, really great storytelling is when you have a, a dramatic story uh, or you tell something about a character, but there's not just, there's a point to it, not just having a drama for that day, but it's something that launches or propels that character forward and changes them in their life for the future. And that definitely happens. Um, and that that's the kind of story I love where one thing is linked to and connected to the other and launches the next. I mean, that that's the kind of writing that I love. And that's what Josh Griffith wrote here. I think it's great. I'm so pleased. Um, and I'm looking forward to playing it out and seeing what's next. And I look forward to getting my next script all the time now and seeing what happens next because um, it just keeps going. Mm -hmm. Um, something else I want to ask you, you know, how does it feel when you walk on the Crimson Light set? You know, like this has been your set for so long. And I feel like they're constantly kind of adding little improvements. Like now we know how much things cost. Very reasonable at Crimson Lights. Yes, very reasonable. That. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, uh, about Crimson Lights, I know that the, a lot of the viewers, you know, were uh, speaking out for a long time that Sharon never left that set. So that made them kind of tired of Crimson Lights and maybe even angry at Crimson Lights. <laughs> but, you know, um, that is, you know, for a few reasons where we don't always put a lot of sets up, you know, some for a period of time, like right now we've got Sharon's Cottage back, but we don't always have a lot of sets going. We can only fit a certain number of them on the stage. They don't all fit simultaneously. So we can only fit what's there and shoot with what fits. And there's actually people whose job it is to measure this out and see what they can fit on the stage and then have them build it. Um, so that's what we had. I was, you know, glad all this past year to at least have Crimson Lights and Crimson Lights is a, you know, like another character on the show because um, it's a, a staple set that's been there as long as Nick and Sharon have been there. So I, I do think, yeah, maybe they got tired of seeing it, but I try to look at it like, you know, like in Seinfeld, you saw the same sets every episode. Nobody got upset about it. In fact, they were those sets were characters in the story. And when I, I well, I totally understand what the audience is saying is they just want to see Sharon get out more into the other sets that are there. I agree. Well, she she'll be doing that. So if you tune in, you'll see Sharon moving about more often. But um, but I could never part with Crimson Lights. I don't know how I would. It would be devastating to me to an part, you know, depart from it entirely. It's got to always be there in some regard or somebody there's got to be running it. I mean, I know a lot of different people have run that place over the years. Didn't. Um, oh, goodness. Greg Ricard, I think he was, his character took a turn from being a bad guy to, you know, an interesting, nice guy. He, I think he ran it with 
Chloe once upon a time, Kevin and Chloe. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but, um, you know, I hope at least, you know, the girls will run it. Maybe Faith or that whatever happens in the future with Sharon, either she's there running it full-time, part-time, or at least someone is. Cause I love that set. It just wouldn't be the, you know, the same show without, I don't know. It's some kind of a heartbeat of the show to me, the way that the coffee house in friends was, you know, right. absolutely. That's where people go for coffee. Where else are you going to go? Aria needs a legacy besides Newman. Come on. Stephanie, get out of my head. I was just thinking, give it three years. Aria will be running it. <laughs> yes. Give it three years. She'll be 16 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Summer job. And I actually wondered if, um, you know, maybe people behind the scenes at The Young and the Restless have been on Twitter when Cameron was saying to Sharon, you know, you deserve more than to just be serving coffee and listening to people's problems. Like that was very the voice of the audience there. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's true. I think sometimes um, the dialogue does mimic what the audience says. So um, it, it does seem that, you know, somebody is listening to what the fans are saying, you know, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You know, but we're, you know, we're on our own journey and path over there. And, and it, you know, the, the train is going in the direction it's going. And that's what's going to happen. We're, I'm looking forward to the future storylines, the ones that we've already filmed, the directions that things are going. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy and pleased. And, and I know that the audience is going to love well, it, it like I do. It got us very jazzed yeah. as well. Um, so Sharon, before we let you go, as we are in the throes of, you know, YNR's milestone 50th anniversary year, and we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of, uh, your debut with the show next year, you know, what does it mean to you that you've made Genoa city, you know, your professional home and have made and continue to make such an important impact both on the show and on the viewers experience of watching it day in and day out. It's wild. You know, it's wild. I think no matter what you did for a living, if you spent 30 years at one occupation or in one company, um, you look back and go, wow, this is, this is what I did with my life with the the body of, you know, right, Stephanie, with the body of your life, your work life, your, your work years, you could, you would have never known in advance. You know, you start out as a youngster. You don't know what path you're going to take. You just work hard. You throw out a million things against the wall and hope something sticks. So to one day, 30 years later, pause and look back and go, wow, I did that. Wow, how lucky am I? How grateful am I? I wish that my older self could have gone back and told my younger self that that's what was going to happen. I love that. And it's true. And you've done an amazing job doing it. So thank you for just the 30 years of amazing work, for all the cooperation you've given us and for taking time out to talk to us today. It's been so terrific. I had such a great time, ladies. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And whenever the Emmys happen, good luck at those. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm sure they'll happen at some point. Okay. Well, we will talk soon. Have a great day. All right. right. Have a great day. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Sharon Case for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.